one day, two non-athletes woke up and said, hey, let's do a sports podcast. These courageous warriors faced great obstacles such as mediocre microphones, Skip Bayless, and Matt Hendrickson. This is The Unathletic. What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Unathletic, uh, our first uh, post-school year edition of The Unathletic, and yes. boy, does it feel great to be done with the semester. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, I'm here with, uh, of course, the recently graduated... And late. <laughs> and, and late, but recently graduated Ben Friedel. Ben, how are you doing? How's it feel to be free? You know, it, it, I'm feeling lazy. I'm feeling like uh, I... I'm forgetting all my responsibilities, i.e. this podcast this hey, morning. Man, You're supposed to be at good. 10. It's all and good. And you, you texted me. You should call me, dude. I was straight up asleep. It's and, all good. you know, I was just like, oh, shoot, I'll be there soon. And I just like, you know, was going 75 and a 40 on my way here. And it was just, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a brutal morning. But, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm here and I'm glad we get to do this. And uh, hopefully I can redeem myself hey, hey, hey. To, to an extent. I just I just feel bad, man. It's all good, man. Bad. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And then we also have a special guest with us. Um, you know, I, I someone recently uh, I was talking to described this person as the wisest person in the uh, theology and religious studies department at the University you? of San Diego. No, no, it was actually another. It was actually another theology professor. Um, he said that said that this person was the wisest person in the theology religious studies department at the University of San Diego, and he actually is like one of the smartest people I've I've ever met. So, want to introduce uh, Professor Christopher Carter. Yeah, so that's such a uh, I don't know that kind of introduction makes me nervous. That <laughs> have to live up to something, uh, especially with regards to being wise, but. Um, you know, I will say to the question you asked earlier about being free, you know, us professors, like we are, we too are excited about being free as soon as this <laughs> semester ends. Like we are, everybody's ready to not be around each other for the summer. Yeah, so if you're a USD student and you're listening right now, you heard it here first. Professors, they're excited to be done with school too. They exactly. don't, they don't want to grade your papers, you know? <laughs> not really. Actually. No, we don't. We don't. Oh man. Oh man. Right, this, now, this, take this, control, Nate. This show's already off the rails. <laughs> but yeah, you know, um, you know, we're going to gonna jump right on into it here i know um seamless with, transition seamless, yeah seamless. with uh the champions league final was on uh saturday yes it was boy was it a uh was it an interesting match we had obviously you know loris Karius. i feel really bad for him we'll oh get to him God, in a minute we had gareth bale scoring probably the greatest goal i have ever seen in my life yeah and um, we thought ronaldo's goal last year was good yeah this 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 was even better but you know Kind of recapping the match, um, Liverpool, for the first 30 minutes, I thought they were the better team. Um, they had a majority of the chances. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a, a great chance, but it was saved on a pretty good save by Kaylor Navas. And then everything changed in the 30th minute when Sergio Ramos took down Mo Salah, um, and that, that completely changed the entire match. And in my opinion, I think, I don't know if you saw the tackle, Ben, but I thought it was a dirty, did you see the, did you see yeah, the tackle? Yeah, I saw, I, thought I, it was actually, dirty. I watched the first half, um, and then I had commitments afterwards, okay. so I watched the first half, highlights of the second half and everything. So first half, yeah, Sergio Ramos like grabbed his arm, right? He kind of wrapped yeah, his, yeah. his elbow around his arm and took him down. And uh, Mo Salah actually tried to re resume playing after that, and then fell to the ground and walked off in tears. You know, I saw the internet blowing up. It's like I'm not crying, you're crying. I was, because, I was, I was distraught. You know, you're seeing so a, you're seeing a top 
arguably top three player in the world mm-hmm. just in tears because he can't he can't play for his team. Um, there wasn't a single player on the Liverpool roster who had ever played in a Champions League final previous to this. So all those players, this was you know the biggest match of their lives, and so just to see the emotion on a face of of a player who, you know, it, it seemed like. He, no one could stop him this season that he was completely invincible yeah. that he could do anything just become like human in that moment was honestly just really hard to see and you know for for the, his teammates on the field including Loris Karius you know it it had to shake him up you would think yeah and, and i think that you know in terms of whether the challenge was dirty or not i think that in a in a moment like that i think a player's reputation um, is is something that you have to take into account. And Sergio Ramos has a history mm-hmm. of doing things like that. He Most is, red cards in La Liga. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? I, I almost see him as like, he's like the soccer, I tweeted this out, he is the soccer version of Draymond Green. Because <laughs> he is, he is in my opinion, the emotional leader of that Real Madrid team. He keeps their back line together. But I think he's a dirty player. Just like I think a lot of people would agree that Draymond Green is a, is a dirty player. I'm sorry, Professor Carter, to hate on your, your Michigan State guy. But, uh, <laughs> well, he... <laughs> So yes, I am a Draymond Green fan. My wife went to Michigan State. I, I've he's been like that since he was played in college. I mean, he actually that's he's all, and he is a player who takes everything right to the edge, right, right to the point where it maybe it's like questionably legal. And it sounds yeah. like that's the, basically the same thing you're yeah. saying about Sergio. Sergio. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, from from that injury, that was that completely changed the game. And um, uh, it was a scoreless first half. Then in the second half, things just. Got crazy, and uh, the first goal scored by Kareem Benzema. I, I'm not sure what Loris Karius was thinking, but he tried to tried to pass the ball out after making a save, and Kareem Benzema just stuck his foot out. His foot hit the ball, and it went into the back of the net. And I, I actually didn't even see it. I looked out of my phone for a second, <laughs> looked up. I saw Kareem it Benzema celebrating. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what the heck just happened? Uh, but I, I thought after that, I thought, all right, Liverpool is done. There, there's no chance that they're going to. They're going to find a way to come back. I thought Real Madrid was about to blow the game wide open. But to their credit, to their got credit, the equalizer. they got the equal, equalizer, um, Sadio Mane, on a uh, on a corner Court. kick. Yeah, yeah. from a uh, ball headed by Dejan Lovren right to uh, Sadio Mane. Your guy, Dejan Lovren. Yeah, I, I, you and I thought Dejan Lovren was going to be the guy who was, was going to screw things you. up. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're just like, you know, we were coming Dejan, up with Dejan our, Lovren is, is our ride the bus, good. but we were prepping this uh, this show before this match even happened. We're like, oh, who's going to ride the bus? You're like, Dejan Lovren, Dejan Lovren probably. Not a good center like, back. Have more faith in the man. Goodness, they got to the Champions League final. That, that is true. That is true. And he actually he actually was, was, was pretty, played all right um, for Liverpool. And then uh, it was tied 1-1 and then First off, when Real Madrid has the luxury to bring in Gareth Bale off the bench, that just, that just shows the depth that they have. And he comes in and on his first touch of the game, scores that wicked overhead kick that was just... I, I said, given the circumstances in the Champions League final, I think that is the best goal I have ever seen. Yeah. And it, it shows that the type of player that Gareth Bale can be is that when he's fit, when he's healthy... He can be a world-class player. Yeah, when he's back in the Premier League next season. I think I, we'll, we'll get to his future in a, in a, in a little bit. But, um, yeah, Gareth Bale scoring the, the best goal I've ever seen. And then um, his second goal of the match, he kind of just just kind of kicked it. And uh, Loris Karius couldn't make the save, kind of just threw his hands at it, went right through his yeah, hands. Yeah, he tried to parry the ball. I mean, yeah. that's the term. Yeah. Like, just kind of deflected with yeah. his hands, and he just didn't do it. And it just went into the net. It was, like, straight at him. And, you know, poor... Poor guy. Yeah, I, 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 I feel really bad for him. And um, to his credit, you know, after the match, he went over. You could see the tears in his eyes. He went over 
to the Liverpool fans. And, and um, you know, the Liverpool mantra is you'll never walk alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, from what I saw on, on the internet, yeah, you had your idiots on the internet that were saying terrible things about Loris Cares. But from what I saw um, on a lot of the comments on his Instagram, the comments on his Twitter were saying, you know, hey, um, we're, we're, we're trying to pick him up and saying that, hey, the reality is, is that early in the match, he made a great save on a Ronaldo header. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he, yeah, it was terrible. He was terrible, but... Sports is not a matter of life and death. Yeah, and um, I really on. you've seen so many instances where it actually becomes a matter of life and death. Like yeah. there, there was that uh, ESPN thirty for thirty. Yeah, about but that, like, Andres the, Escobar. Yeah, that yeah. was oh gosh. And um, you know, and it, th- this kind of game makes me think of the the, the British keeper. From, That's exactly what I was thinking of, actually. Like the twenty ten right yeah. against the U.S. Yeah, he just b- between his legs, right? Yeah, it went went right between his legs. It was like an easy pass back to him. Was it? A, it was a Clint Dempsey shot. Yeah, Clint yeah. Dempsey shot. It was like on the ground, like not difficult, and this guy just like it, it nutmegged him, mm-hmm. and it went in the goal, and then that like ruined his career. Yeah, because all the these you know salty british fans who's you know because their team is never any good yeah they just laid into him yep, and yep. like i don't i don't even know i think he's probably like out of soccer at this yeah. point like he just completely i think he never played for england again after that yeah it was even in like i think they had a match like the next match and they didn't start yeah him. They like didn't. that was it like he was so you know sports can be a matter of you know it can really change someone's life if you're at such a high profile level of attention and you know you would hate to see this guy you know just you know have his career just be shattered by this because you know he, he is you know while he i don't think he's like good enough to start for liverpool just objectively even coming into this match like this guy's like he's a younger guy his yeah career, he has his whole career ahead yeah. of him like you know it would it would be a shame to see him kind of tail off after something like this yeah i, th- I think he's best as a number two yeah. and i think going into next season i think liverpool's biggest need is a goalkeeper i think that they should look into trying to get uh donnarumma from Ooh. AC Milan Whoa. and like the good one, one, the good one, not his older brother who's a bench warmer, but like <laughs> the good younger brother. Because I know that that's something that I think they should have addressed during the January window. Yeah, um, I mean they already spent, you know, they spent what ninety, 90 million, million on Virgil on, Van Dijk on yeah. a center back, so it's hard to spend more than that in a, in a dra- January transfer. But they window. have, they have, they have money. Like they yeah. have money, and, and we'll get to Liverpool's needs um, in a little bit. But uh, the reality was is that I thought I said going into this match that it was going to be an exciting match, and it wasn't. It was exciting, although not exciting in the way that I think a lot of people thought. It sucks to see Mo Salah um, get injured, and I really hope that he's good to go for the World Cup because mm-hmm. Egypt needs him. Uh, he said on Instagram he that he's be, yeah, he's, go, he's right? optimistic and, he, and yeah. he should be ready to go. So um, I'll ask you, Ben, how would you grade Liverpool's season? Because I, I I would give them a B plus, but yeah. how would you grade their season finishing fourth and getting to the Champions League final? I'd give them an. A minus. A minus. Even A minus because no one thought they would beat it in Champions League final. Like we we have not seen a team like Liverpool in a Champions League final in like years. Honestly, yeah. like we haven't yeah. seen a team that we haven't expected to be there. Like even when like Chelsea won it, like we expected that Chelsea team to be there because they were that good. Like the teams that we've seen in recent history to make the Champions Champions League final have been the teams that have the ability to go out and buy anyone and anyone that they absolutely need to get in order to be in the Champions League final and win the Champions League. Liverpool, like while they do have money and can spend big, but they they can do that on occasion. They they're not the type of team to just blindly spend on anyone. And you know, it's it's Liverpool, England. It's not necessarily the most attractive place to live. <laughs> so like, you know, it, in in order to entice players to come to Liverpool, it could be more challenging than, you know, living in Madrid or living in Paris or someplace like that. So, you know, I gave them all power. 
I think that's a huge testament to Jurgen Klopp and, and sort of the, the transformation since he's come in to this team. You and I both think that they're arguably favorites next year to win the Premier League because of the way that they played in the second half of the season. Because the first half of the season, they couldn't defend. So they, they really kind of just dug themselves into a hole sort of in the first half of the season. And then second half of the season when they realized, hey, we can make a run in Champions League, they sort of um, took, took their foot off the gas in, ter- in the Premier League. And that, to me, is why they finished fourth. They were, they were putting more attention on the more important matches, which were the Champions League matches. Thus, their fourth place finished. They secured that they would re-qualify for Champions League next year. And they realized, hey, look, this is a priority for us. We're going to go for that. And, you know, I think that's a te- another testament to Klopp and managing his team correctly and still getting back into the Champions League, even though they lost in the final. So, you know, I give them an A-. Guys like Mo Salah coming out of nowhere, having mm-hmm. um, arguably the best Premier League season ever um, in, in turn, and just putting himself literally in the conversation with Ronaldo and Messi in terms of best player in the world. I think, I don't know if this is a hot take, I think he might win player of the year. Like I think, yeah. Or depending I think on he, how he, he does. It. He deserves it. Depending on how he does in the World Cup. Let's say Egypt Egypt makes a run because of him. Like, Absolutely. I think he arguably could dethrone one of those two. I don't think Messi or Ronaldo have lost that award in the last eight years, nine years. I think years. the last person to win it was Kaká. And I think, oh, I think it was 07, actually. Yeah, so I think Mo Salah could be the first person to break this sort of Messi-Ronaldo lock on player of the year um, in over a decade, which is yep. truly incredible. So that's why... I, like some people would say, oh, they they didn't win a trophy, um, but you know sometimes it's not all about winning trophies. Sometimes it's just putting your team in the most important matches in the world, and even if you don't come out on top, I believe that can be summed up as a successful season in my book. And I think it's about the process, you know. Trust the process. Trust, yeah, the quote Joel Embiid. <laughs> it's about the process, and I think that what Jurgen Klopp is building at Liverpool is a testament to that process. Yeah. And now I think they're in a position next year to make a run at the Premier League title and per- perhaps win it for the first time since 1990. Goalie. Exactly. Adam at a man named Christian Pulisic. Yeah, you get you get a, you get a I think you get a goalie, a center back and then you get some attacking depth because yeah, like the one real- attacking guy, the definitely real- center back. Yeah. I agree with you. The and reality is is that, you know, once Mo Salah got hurt, who they had coming off the bench is is nowhere close to yeah. to Real Madrid bringing Gareth Bale yeah. off the bench. So I think that um Definitely attacking depth is where they need to look. And then obviously a goalkeeper. And, you know, I understand that Manchester City absolutely ran away with the Premier League title this year. But the reality is that Liverpool worked Man City three times this year. Mm-hmm. Once in the Premier League and, and twice in the Champions League. So I think that uh, and if you look at Klopp's record against Pep, Klopp actually has a pretty good record against Pep going back to their days when Pep was at Bayern Munich and, and, and Klopp was at Dortmund. Really? Okay. So because I just for some reason Klopp just knows how to out manage Pep which is which is incredible pressure on, no he puts high pressure on them That's yeah the thing, exactly Pep, exactly Pep likes to put like like the tiki taka style of like possession game but when you have your front three guys who are super fast, just pressing on the on you know the back line that's when mistakes can happen I yep, think yep. I think Klopp is one of the only managers who's courageous enough to do that and has enough belief in his players to actually do that because if imagine okay I'll just pick a random team West Brom West Brom, they're, they're attacking front three. Don't really know a single name in their attacking <laughs> front three, but I assume that they don't have the quality and the speed and the depth in order to put the pressure on in a similar way that Klopp can with Liverpool. So that's a testament to him knowing his players and a testament to his uh, courageousness, but also his just fearlessness as a manager. We could also make the same argument about uh, Manchester United and Jose Mourinho, a, a manager that you and I have criticized multiple times on, on this <laughs> every show. show. Every show we criticize um, that man. But now looking looking at um, Real Madrid for a second, you know, 
What do you think that this performance on Saturday means for Gareth Bale's future at Real Madrid? Because he's a guy who, you know, didn't get a chance to start in the Champions League final, didn't start in the Champions League final last year. Um, mm-hmm. And there's uh, been rumors about him potentially making a move back to the Premier League. I think I think it could go two ways. Because Gareth Bale's not playing in the World Cup because he's, he's a Welsh player. So Wales is not in the World Cup, um, even though the Wales team is actually kind of good. Um, he's not playing in the World Cup, so this that was his last chance to kind of like showcase himself going into this offseason. I mean, if we if we look back and remember how much Real Madrid spent to get him, it was it was, was, the, the most it was a record in transfer the yeah. in the world at the time. It was over a hundred million euros, I yeah. believe. Just obscenely expensive. So for the amount that they paid for him, I am just surprised on the outset that they don't play him just on, on for that reason. But that's a testament to Isco and Marcos Asensio coming up through the system and just you know just outplaying Gareth Bale at times, and especially since Gareth Bale can't stay on the field. So depending, in my opinion, on what happens with Isco and Asensio, I think depend um, de- will determine Gareth Bale's future. I know that the Asensio and Isco have a very a, a more likely chance on staying with Real Madrid, but I wouldn't rule out maybe some. Premier League team coming and swooping in to try to get at least one of those guys because if one of those other two guys goes I would think if you're Real Madrid you're like oh shoot we need to hold on to Bale because like you know let's see what he did in Champions League final like he still has quality that being said I predict that those two guys won't move and I think Gareth Bale will probably go mm, Chelsea I'll throw that out there Chelsea are gonna look to rebound try to get some new guys um, they, they had a d- disappointing fifth place finish. They didn't requalify for the Champions League. You know, and then if you're Gareth Bale, do you sacrifice Champions League? You know, you're just scoring the Champions League final. Now you have to go to, to Chelsea and play in the Europa League. Do you take that chance? But I definitely think that his time is up, especially with he had some post game comments. Yeah. I believe that's like, like, you know, my future's not set. Like, he I said, wanna, I need to be playing every day. Every I need to be playing yeah. every day. And if, like, you know, if you saw that goal just then, like, yeah, I do need to be playing every day, which is, you know, props to him for kind of being that bold. Um, and. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think his days. To sum up that just amalgamation, of whatever I just said, <laughs> um, I think his time at Real Madrid is is numbered. Like his days are numbered, and he deserves to be playing every day. And I agree with him on that. And so Chelsea, I think, could be a potential landing spot. I think he will be returning to the Premier League, but I think he's going to be going to Old Trafford. I think oh, really? uh, I see him next he's season be as a the bus. United. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, great players go to die. Old yeah. Trafford. Oh yeah. my god. The theater, they call it the theater of our dreams because you watch him and you want to fall asleep. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think Gareth Bale um, is a Manchester United. He's a Red Devil next year, and yeah. um, you know it'll be interesting to see whether they still want to play that crap defensive, pragmatic football, oh, even so with bad. it's the worst. all that attacking talent. And Ugh. we won't get into that because you and I could. Have a few segments with, on with Jose. You can go back and listen to any of our Mourinho. episodes. We'll probably talk about it. But you know, um, kind of staying in the Premier League, uh, Arsenal yes. finally hired a Wenger new out. manager. Wenger and, uh, out. The day, movement. The movement has succeeded after you know. I think it was seven long years. A day that you and I never thought. Well, we lived. Never to thought see. it would happen. We saw the. I mean, just to bring attention to the Wenger out movement, and I will call it a movement because I was seeing. At like women's marches in the United States, people with Wenger out signs. That's how pervasive this was. People just wanted him out in any single pro- platform that they could get to just get this man outside of the coaching position. And Professor Carter, you're laughing over there. And because um, <laughs> that's hilarious to sit there and think at a. I mean, I'm not saying that obviously, you know, soccer 
people of all, you know, whether man or woman, you're right, you can, you can, you can uh, watch it. But the fact that either somebody's crashing this women's march with that sign or someone's actually at the women's march for, you know, whatever reason, right? Yeah. And it still has that sign. It's just <laughs> hilarious to the passion that they have. That's why I'm laughing. I know. That's that, I mean, I think that's a testament to the frustration. It's just, it's just so awful what we've seen from Arsene Wenger just holding this team hostage completely. And... We, we got our wish. We have a new manager, and his name is Unai Emery. He came from uh, Paris Saint-Germain. He uh, he stepped down as the manager of PSG uh, uh, last he, year. He, he was got, He got fired. He was pressured out. He, he, <laughs> he stepped down. Fired. That was the official press release. The so official let's, let's, press release. Um, yeah, and okay. PSG replaced him with uh, your boy, Thomas Tuchel, who yes. you think is going to be great. But that's another conversation. Um, so Unai Emery is, is going to be the new head man at Arsenal. Um, I They got this, you know... Wenger's last game for Arsenal was a couple weeks ago, and now they already have a new manager. It's kind of crazy how how quick this turnover was, but we have a new manager. Um, and yeah, man, I'm I'm personally excited. I know that you and I have slightly different views on this. I feel like I've sort of brought you around on. on we'll on get this to my we'll get to my idea. thoughts in a minute. But um, yeah, man, I'm 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 excited that we have a new manager, and I'm ex- I'm excited about this hire. Yeah, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I thought that it seemed to me like Arteta was going to be the uh, the favorite. It sounded to me like uh, he, he, they were going to be he was going to be the manager, and then this Unai Emery news kind of came out of left field for me. And when I saw it, I was like, "Wait, what?" So, um, you know, if you had a choice, uh, Emery or Arteta, would you have taken Emery, or would you, would you have gone with Arteta? I am so glad Mikel Arteta is not our head coach. Really, I'll tell really? you that much because Mikel Arteta has not ever had a head coaching position ever. He is only what three, two, three years removed from being a player. Yeah. Um, which, He's an Arsenal player, though. Yeah, he he was an Arsenal player, but he was a player uh, during quote unquote the dark ages where we really didn't win anything. He captained the team for a while, but like, you know how he and then for his last game for Arsenal, he like cried and everything. So it you you saw how much the club meant to him, which I think is you know a testament to him just having a passion for being a manager potentially and whatnot, but. Just the fact that he had never managed before. I know he was a number two under Pep Guardiola, arguably the best manager going right now. But if you are going to follow up Arsene Wenger, a man who held that position for 22 years, and you bring in a manager who has not had any managerial experience, I think that you should have gone with Thierry Henry if you were of that mindset. You needed to bring in not a club legend. I wouldn't even call Arteta a club no, legend. I wouldn't either. You needed to bring in the greatest player in your club's history in order to follow him up because... I think Thierry Henry, there's that respect factor, right? If if Mikel Arteta was in that locker room, you think guys like Ozil will stop taking days off? I don't think so. Do you think guys like, um, you know, there's there's multiple egos. I don't think I've seen enough of Aubameyang. I know you know that Aubameyang, Aubameyang has, an has an ego. Yeah, because he wouldn't show up to Dortmund right practice. Yeah, so um, handling Aubameyang's ego. So with him handling egos, I don't know. I feel like Arteta would have been that yes man hire that the board would want in order to just take the board's crap. And it's like, oh yeah, we're only going to give you a $25 million budget for you to spend. And yeah, if Ozil doesn't want to play, he doesn't want to play. And Arteta would have been that Arteta would have been that yes man in order to just sort of make the board happy. That's why I like Unai Emery as a hire. He's a tactician. He actually can, you know, he was at Sevilla. People forget he was at Sevilla before PSG led Sevilla to three Europa League titles. And that's kind of the place where Arsenal's at right now. We're trying to win the Europa League. And that's sort of where our expectations are at right now since we qualified for the Europa League. So might as well get a manager who has um, the utmost experience in winning that competition. All right, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say, you talk about the egos at Arsenal with Ozil and Aubameyang. 
Unai Emery couldn't handle the Eagles at PSG, and yeah. we saw that during the Neymar-Cavani penalty drama where I thought he looked extremely weak and said, you know what, hey, those guys are going to handle it themselves instead of taking care of that as soon as it happened, and that I think really <laughs> boiled over um, and had an effect on, P- on PSG's uh, season. And so, you know, I-, I thought that, you know, I've talked multiple times about the culture change at Arsenal, yes. and you need a guy who's going to come in there and command respect. Uh-huh. And I think that when you look at the way Unai Emery handled that situation at PSG, he did not. He was not able to command respect the way that a manager should. Mm-hmm. So how is he going? If, if he couldn't do it at PSG, and also the thing is that he didn't win at PSG with unlimited resources. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, a, a top three player in the world, the best young player in the world, a top five striker in the world, and he couldn't deliver at PSG. He couldn't deliver the Champions League with all the financial resources and all the financial backing. How is he going to do it at Arsenal with less quality players? And and I'm not saying win the Champions League, but how is he going to be successful at Arsenal with less quality players and with, you know, they say he's only going to have a $50 million transfer budget going into this season. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an amazing point. And um, what, what, I'll, what I'll say is, and I've brought this up to you before, but I'll say it again. Like, if you put any manager in that, that Neymar-Cavani situation, I don't think any manager would handle that correctly. Because... You arguably have the biggest ego in soccer in Neymar, who had just come over for a two hundred million dollar transfer. Like that, that's just the context of the situation. When you come over for two hundred mil, you expect to take those penalties in Neymar's defense. And the fact, you know, Cavani, Cavani's a club legend at PSG at this point, where he has their all time goal scoring record and is, um, you know, has the le- I think the league uh, um, scoring record as well, yeah. the French league. So like this guy is, you know. Um, been there, done that, all that kind of stuff, and so Unai Emery, albeit like I agree, he mismanaged the situation, but I would like to have the utmost faith in that he learned from his mistakes. I think we often take for granted that people like go through things and they they're just going to stick to their ways. You know, that's just such an abnormal situation that he no no rarely managers have to go through something like that at that scale with those kind of players. So. I would think that now that he's gone through the fire of that, if he constructively just looks at his his own management style and says, hey, like I messed up, like I need to do X, Y, and Z better. He was in, I think, the the ultimate situation for that to happen, if that makes sense. The perfect storm. Like, and he he just caught caught up in the perfect storm, exactly. And so I think, I would like to think that he's learned from those mistakes and going forward can handle the egos of Ozil and Aubameyang in in handling some kind of situation like that. Um, To address the other part of your question, in terms of having unlimited resources, we saw at Sevilla. He turned Sevilla into a club that really didn't really qualify for any uh, European competitions to one that's consistently deep in the Europa League, w- arguably can win the Europa League, and um, what is it? Because we saw them in deep in the Europa League against Man United last year as well. Yeah. Um, so he, he has a history of building teams, not maintaining the utmost talent. And I think those are two different types of managers. And I think that's the the sort of life stage that Arsenal is in right now. They're trying to rebuild this team into being one of the greats. And so Unai Emery has a track record of building teams into teams that are better in, instead of just maintaining greatness. And I think those are two different types of mentalities. I think um, managers can have a knack for doing one thing or another. And so Unai Emery, in my opinion, um, for the project at Arsenal, is the type of manager to come in and take that job. If like, I would be much more concerned if a guy like Carlo Ancelotti had this job over Unai Emery because Carlo Ancelotti is a guy who's used to going into clubs that are already just set to win, and he's not used to building anything. Unai Emery has the experience of building a squad that can uh, be ready to compete at the European level, and that's, that's Arsenal's goal right now.
Well, yeah, um, I, I wish him the best of luck. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you climb on Arsenal hater, but I don't, I don't hate Arsenal. I just, you, you definitely I just, do. I just, but... I just, you know, I don't hate. I just laugh at their failures. I know. Is, and and is, when they hired Unai Emery, what did you do? What was your first? I reaction? actually laughed. Yeah, I you was, laughed. I laughed. Exactly, you hater. I was like, I was this guy's like, a hater. I was like, they the they heck, messed it up man? again. But <laughs> I, I am starting to come around to it, and I, I think that it it could it could work out. So I'm going to ask you, because I, I still don't think that they're a top four club next year. I think that their goal. And their only ticket in the Champions League is to win the Europa League. Uh-huh. What are your expectations for? They just um, announced today that they're. It came out today that they signed a center back uh, from Dortmund. What do what you? Socrates. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, but I, I, saw, I saw the rumors, so they yeah. signed him. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Goodness gracious. We need a center back. Gosh, it's just to, we need something to keep Shakhtar and Mustafi out of the starting lineup, yes, and I yes, think this yes. is the move that we needed. Um, what was your question? Goodness gracious. Gosh. <laughs> what are your expectations going excited. What are your expectations? expectations. Um, so I, I think we're going to fight for that fourth spot in, in the Premier League. I'm not going to you know be like those Arsenal fan TV guys, and now that we got a Socrates from Dortmund, oh my god, we're going to win the league. No. You're not going to be Ty? No, I'm not going to be... Oh my god. Don't even get me started. <laughs> um, oh, shoot. I'm, okay, brain's processing. Um, <laughs> top four, yes. So... I think you're gonna fight for the top four. I don't think Man United is gonna finish as high as they did last year, just because Jose Mourinho. Honestly, like that man, I, know, yeah. I think they're Mourinho destined is... to do lesser than they did last year. And crash I, and burn. I think they're gonna crash and burn. I don't necessarily mean. I don't think that means outside of the top four, but they're definitely gonna be worse than last year, in my opinion. Regardless of who I they agree. sign, if they sign Bale, I think they're still gonna not finish. They're gonna finish in third, fourth, or fifth. Chelsea. It's gonna be interesting to see what they do this offseason in order to rebound. They were fifth last year. If Conte's still manager there, no, they do. Guys got um, what? <laughs> Napoli. Uh, oh, okay. What's his name from Napoli? All right, they have a new manager, so yeah. new manager, and so we'll see how that goes. You gotta, but... you gotta keep up on your. Yeah, man. You, you graduated. Know, I was graduating. Uh, oh man, falling behind on all. I the apologize rumors, to you, man. listeners. You deserve a host that knows more. We'll just put it that way. So I think, long story short, they'll t- they'll fight for the top four. I think um, Tottenham is the other team I'm watching. If they lose players this offseason, um, they just signed their manager to an extension. Pochettino, yeah. And the rumors were saying that they're going to give him some more money to spend now that Pochettino has that extension. Well, so it's, it's about time. We'll see. We'll see if that's actually the reality. But if if trends stay trends in terms of these these top six sides, I think Arsenal do have a shot at top four. I think a better shot than you may you may think, especially with Unai Emery coming in. Because I think Arsene Wenger was just so toxic. I think it's really going to change the culture of this team. And can't can't your boy just have a little hope, man? Can I just hope for something I give him, good? I give him no team? chance. They're going to finish sixth again. Yeah, see, you're a hater. That's no, what you I'm are. Just, I'm just oh I'm God. just realistic. No. Anyway, switching gears to a more general soccer conversation. Yes. And finally, we're going to bring Professor Carter into it because yeah, he's just patiently. he's just been sitting here laughing at our uh, ridiculousness. Uh, so, uh, Professor Carter, you were you and I were talking about how you know you're you want to get a little bit more into soccer. Yeah. So as you as you both well know, I am a, a loyal listener uh, of the podcast, <laughs> the uh, one and only. Uh, the, hey, well, maybe the one and only, but I'm a loyal listener. And and over time, as you guys continue to talk so much about soccer, I've just got I found myself actually wanting to watch soccer like outside of just the u.s national team you're like wait what's this feeling feeling?" yeah i know that is actually how it is like i I was flipping through the channels uh one saturday and i was like oh man there's like i don't even know who was playing but it was some matches that were on and i was like (laughs) i was like i think i'm gonna actually gonna watch this and i thought consciously i was like this is what happens if you listen to a podcast that spends 30 minutes every podcast talking about soccer (laughs) that i kind of have this this little twinkling this little feeling um but my question is 
you know, like how did both of you, I guess, come to be so passionate about it? Like, you know, if I if I'm going to become a fan, which I do see myself slowly becoming a fan now because of things that's happening like i'm a a football fan i'm from michigan i grew up watching michigan state football michigan football detroit lions barry sanders like i loved football uh and now with everything that we're going to get to later on with the nfl i'm just i don't watch it and i mm-hmm. and so i have this kind of um, desire to fill, free to fill that yeah <laughs> to fill that gap and so i'm like okay maybe i'll, I'll start I'll, I, especially if listening to you guys it sounds so interesting because it's it's year round, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's, so I got more interested, and I was like, well, you know, how might I actually become a fan? Like, you know, like, yeah. how, like, how do you pick a team? Like, what do you do? You know, like, how do you actually go about becoming a fan? Like, with you guys. Well, for me, it's it's funny. I used to like hate soccer so yeah, much because I hate I thought it was boring. <laughs> and he's a little bit of a hater. And, <laughs> oh man, got it. <laughs> It's all good. Keep going. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. So, so I, I used to not like soccer because uh, I thought it was boring, and because my girlfriend at the time plays soccer. But that's now neither, she's an ex. That's neither here nor there. Yep. Um, Bye, but, Felicia. Shoot, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I used to always watch the World Cup um, mainly just because you know, I would start off with watching the USA, and then over time, you know, I, I once the USA would inevitably get knocked out in the round of sixteen, I would just continue to watch because I was just like, hey, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep watching. Um, and then I think. Um, in the summer of 2015, you had uh, the women go on to win the World Cup, and then later on you had uh, the U.S. the U.S. men in the Gold Cup, and then 2016 you had the USA playing in Copa America. And I think just from those two summers, I think you know after Copa America ended in 2016, I just continued to watch uh, the European Championships, and I think from that point on, I just just started to fall in love with the game. And I think that you know what started out as just hey, just watching international soccer turned into watching. Uh, club soccer turned into watching the Bundesliga and the Premier League and La Liga and then you know we have a World Cup coming up and I think that it's this is honestly gonna be like the perfect time for someone to get into soccer a USA less World Cup (laughs) because for me I could now watch soccer for just the love of watching the sport not watching it with the stresses and the highs and lows (laughs) and and mostly lows that come from watching the USA and you know yeah it's 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 fun watching the USA in the World Cup, and you know you have those moments like Landon Donovan against scoring in the 91st minute against mm-hmm. Algeria, or John Brooks header against Ghana, and even those sad moments like when we should have beaten Portugal and then lost it in 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 the on like the last kick of the match, or you know losing to Belgium um, four years ago is you know. Um, yeah, those moments are fun, but now I can enjoy soccer for just the love of watching so- for love of watching soccer and watching players that I like. And in terms of you know choosing a club, I, I started watching Borussia Dortmund only because of Christian Pulisic. But now I watch Borussia Dortmund because I love to watch Borussia Dortmund because I've grown to love the players. I've grown to love Mario Götze and Marco Royce and. and I was really sad when Pierre Emerick Aubameyang left to go to Arsenal because he had be- he's a hater. <laughs> because he had become one of my favorite players and 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 so now it's like what started out as like hey I'm just watching um, from because I want to watch Americans now I'm watching because I just just love the game. What about you? How did you become a like? Is it see? This is the thing too. Like I'm a Lions fan, and no one is really gonna admit that. Like I'm probably the second person to admit this on a podcast. I'm a Lions fan because <laughs> we're historically terrible um, after Barry Sanders. Um, but it's something you're born into, right? Yeah. Like literally, like everybody in my family is a Lions fan. Everybody uh-huh. in my family is a Michigan State fan. So you don't have a choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, how did you become an Arsenal fan? Yeah. So that's that's a really interesting question. I feel like. Part of your question is, like, why do you choose to root for a team that isn't, like, the best of the best if you had to, like, pick a team? Yeah, kind of. Because, like, Arsenal, w- when I got into Arsenal, um, was probably, like, 2010-ish. Mm-hmm. And 
if I'm being totally honest, it was playing FIFA. It was playing mm, a video game. Okay. FIFA, I think, is the best touch point for Ameri- like young Americans especially in order to get into soccer because it, in my opinion, is the best sports video game. And I think the sport of soccer is just in itself catered to being just a great video game thing to play. But it's just... FIFA is such an in-depth game where you can play in over like 30 different leagues. You can play as like a second division, like Italian team if you want to. It's just so in-depth. So you really have, as a fan, the opportunity to really explore the world of soccer Mm. and what that looks like around the world. You can really get to know other players because let's say, you know, I pick Arsenal and do like manager mode for a season. I would really get to know the Premier League because, you know, I... um, uh, Alexis Sanchez on Man United would score against me and then I would know who he is and so on and so forth So FIFA for me was really the main reason why I got into soccer and then like you I would just scroll through my TV guide and I'm like oh Premier League Soccer I play the video game all the time I'll watch it so I, I started to watch it and um, in terms of picking Arsenal to answer your other part of the question um, for me I think just American Americans in general have a very unique opportunity right now in terms of soccer in terms of just picking our teams which I think is just such a unique thing because like you said it's usually something you're born into or if you move somewhere you start rooting for the team there but you know if you're living in America and you want to get in the Premier League you just gotta like pick a team and for me I couldn't pick Man United Man City or Chelsea those teams I could not pick because they just win everything and I'm like if you're a fan like and I just jumped on that like that's that's pretty, not that's not lame. cool. That's pretty lame. Like you know, so I, I look at Man City fans. I'm like, come on, like especially American Man City fans. I'm like, how could you do this, dude? Even like, even Man City fans in Manchester. Yeah, I didn't even know Man City was a thing 15 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Since Man United has been so seeped in in the city of Manchester's history and whatnot. So I picked Arsenal because I'm like, I looked at their roster on FIFA and I'm like, wow, they have a pretty good roster. You know, I feel like they're on the up and up. They had some young players. Little did I know that there's so much baggage that comes with that. And I will admit, a couple years ago, my fanship was wavering. I'm like, I have all the power in the world to switch to another team. But then I was like, when they said, honestly, when they signed Lacazette, I doubled down. I was like, this is my team. I'm gonna follow them. If I leave, what does that make me as a fan? I gotta stick through this. <laughs> like, and I just need to be loyal. And I think that's just a big part of fanship for me. Um, and just staying loyal with Arsenal through through the highs and the many lows that I do experience. But I mean, it was it was FIFA and. The last thing I'll say was I just liked a bunch of uh, soccer pages on social media. And so mm. I would go on social media and then just a bunch yeah. of soccer news would pop up. I'd watch videos. I'd watch like crazy goals from the Premier League. I'm mainly a Premier League guy. Um, Nate got into the Bundesliga, uh, which is the German league a lot more because of Christian Pulisic, Borussia Dortmund and whatnot. Um, so like I've gradually become more knowledgeable of the Bundesliga over time. And yeah, I think social media was definitely a very... Um, pervasive way in order it just like kind of intercepted in my life and i was just like oh like i can just scroll down and look at videos and whatnot so yeah i mean those are kind of the reasons that i became a fan and i mean we can get into it this is a conversation maybe a different conversation (laughs) for another time but the way that social media has an impact on our fanship and like how fans can become fans of leagues in other countries for the first time now like you couldn't do that 30 40 years ago honestly with, with how everything's shaped up so again i'll reaffirm what nate said right now is probably the best time to become a soccer fan just because of all the context of everything going on, dude. All right. Well, I'm going to figure out what team I'm going to root for. I don't know right now. Yeah. But I'll figure it out and I'll let you guys know. But uh, you have persuaded me to at least, uh, you know, give it a try. To yeah. give it a try. <laughs> Especially the social media thing. Actually, that makes a ton of sense. Like, I think that's actually one way to... Because I like being an informed fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I want to actually 
know what I'm talking about. You know, listening to you guys, I feel like, okay, you guys actually, for the most part, I mean, occasionally, Ben, perhaps you get behind because you have finals, and that's okay. <laughs> I understand, you know, you might not I'm know exactly what's going and on. Stuff. Exactly. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I just want to be an informed fan. So this was, this was, this was very helpful. And also just, you know, as, as I've become a soccer fan, I've also gotten to know, I think San Diego has a, a, an awesome soccer community, and I've gotten to know some really awesome people just through being a soccer fan. And um, these, these are people that, you know, a lot of them are, are older than me, but they're like the first time that I ever went to um, an Outlaws, which is to say soccer supporters group. First time I went to a watch party, I was like super nervous because I was the youngest person there. But um, the people there at, at the bar are like super nice, and I'm actually probably going to go there later to watch <laughs> the USA against Bolivia. So, yeah, I think that through soccer I've gotten – um, to not only love the game, but also just got a chance to meet some just awesome, amazing people. And that note, I wrap up, wrap up the segment. So I'm going to be in the UK. Uh, I land in the UK because we're going there for a vacation. Uh, and the day I land is the day that uh, they are playing their first World Cup match. Oh. And so we are going to go to a bar to yeah, watch the game. And that, I know, is going to be absolutely insane. Oh, Like, it's going to be insane. I'm so jealous. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh, you should... If I were you, I'd like buy an England jersey and do the whole like, nine yards. You should buy a scarf well, when you're there. Yeah, you should buy like, a scarf. I don't want to be like a pretender. Like, I, you know, I just, I just want to just go in, like, just kind of soak it up. Because then people might ask me a question. Like, oh, you're yeah. like, I don't know it. <laughs> oh, when I, when, I, when I go to Paris, I'm going to act like I've been a France fan for my entire life. <laughs> Plastic. Exactly. Plastic. <laughs> It's all right. What all am right, I supposed Nate, to do? You're the, you're the host. Do? You're supposed to wrap yeah, up the segment. So That's what you're supposed I to thought do. that was that was that was comprehensive. Awesome. That was we'll put great. it that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when we when we come back, we'll, uh, there's also the NBA playoffs going on. And uh, last night was uh, well, the king was the king. Yeah. And so yeah, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll get into that and uh, also talk about Game Seven Rockets Warriors tonight. Yep. Like what you're hearing? Well, I've got news for you. You no longer have to wait a whole week to hear from your favorite sports personalities. Hi. I'm Nate Wiggins, and Ben Friedel and I have got you covered. Give our show, The Unathletic, a sports podcast, a listen. We release new episodes every Monday and are committed to bringing you the best content. That's right, the very best content. All right, welcome back to The Unathletic. And um, like I said, we're here with uh, Professor Christopher Carter from um, University of San Diego. So... You know, we just got done talking about soccer, and now we're going to come back to the United States and talk about the NBA playoffs. And this has been it's, – it's weird because, like, there's been a lot of blowouts during the playoffs, but it's also been, like, exciting too. It, it, it's, it's weird. And, you know, last night, um, Cavs, Celtics, Game 7, and like I said, the king was a king. Yeah. Um, and, and LeBron James was just – he was, I think, what we expected him to be, playing all 48 minutes and just was absolutely tremendous. And I could go on and on about how much I love, love LeBron James, but I'm going to <laughs> – uh, toss one over to uh, Professor Carter here because I would say that between everyone here, he is the NBA expert. So, um, you know, what did you see during this during this series, or what what are your, some of your takeaways? It was an interesting series, I think, actually, because of the, dis- the 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 crazy disparities between the way each team would play at home versus on the road, which for me was. I think it's been happening this whole playoffs with the Celtics, right? They, they play one way at home where everybody can score and everybody's playing uh, efficient offensive basketball. But as soon as they get on the road, it seems like they really struggle, in part because they're missing, obviously, their two best players. Like, you know, last night, I have no doubt that if Kyrie Irving was healthy, Boston would have won that game because they got to, they hit a wall where their players, they had too many players who were struggling to shoot, which had not happened at home. And this is where, like, someone like Kyrie, 
who can just Kyrie can get buckets. Like mm-hmm. he can just like I mean seriously, yeah. like he can just make a shot out of nothing. You know, and for somebody in that size to do that, I think is amazing. This is where he and Steph Curry to me to me are just like they have their preeminent handle, um, and they can just get they can get their own shot. Um, but they didn't have that last night, and so that was some of the thing that I think stood out to me. But with regards to the entire series, I was happy, I think more or less, with what I saw with Boston. Um, seeing them be able to grow into the team that kind of they are uh, becoming. I mean, they're a very young team. They're the youngest team everybody talked about. The Sixers being the super young team. The, you know, the Celtics are actually younger than them, like on average. Um, and and what I I think what what I saw last night uh, from the Celtics before we move into talking about LeBron because we can talk about him forever because you're going to do that so I'll make sure I get <laughs> my at least at least talk about the Celtics because that to me is similar to um, when you guys were talking earlier with regards to I didn't anticipate the Celtics would get this far and so in this way I do consider their season a success um, but I still think they could have won the game last night yeah, yeah. when when they had, when there was like four minutes left um, this is when I think Brad Stevens also showed his um, youth, and this again connects to what you're talking about with uh, United Emory, right? Where like, can you learn from these mistakes and actually become a better coach? And Brad Stevens, I think, gets a little bit better each year. And the mistakes he made this year was at the end of the games, he needed to actually call more timeouts to set up plays because he's excellent at calling out of timeout plays. He needed to call more timeouts to manage those possessions in ways he hadn't done the entire series because they were coming down, playing inefficient offensive basketball. Um, when you need to score on those possessions and then come back and play defense, and he was letting his players play, which he had done historically. And I think it's come back. I think it came back to ultimately undermine the team um, because you just had guys just you know taking shots that clearly weren't even though they were open. They just weren't the kind of looks I think they could get because only by only people that were on last night were uh, you know Jason Tatum um, and Al Horford. Everybody else was just like just just throwing up bricks. So you know that for for me, I think I'm happy with what Boston did. Um, I think. They're going to be amazing next year. Absolutely. They're going to be Absolutely. ridiculous next year. Yeah. Um, Jason Tatum is like, man. He's the man. Oh, my gosh. So like, he, he had no fear. That dunk. It, uh, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> just the fact when you dunk out LeBron. When you, I mean, the, and he flexed all over him. I know, he, like, stepped into him. And LeBron, like, turns around and looks at him. He, he was like, look. And he didn't even care. He was just like, yeah, just dunked on you. Now what? I'm like, oh. Now, I've been dunked on before because, you know, I, I played basketball in high school. I played AAU ball. And, like, when you get dunked on like that, all you are, like, as an athlete, unless you're LeBron James, you just kind of just, you like, whatever, man. Like, you just kind of brush it off. You know, but he was just like, he looked at him like, hey, I'm trying to establish my presence like you know i'm here um i'm going to be here and i'm i I know even though i'm young i'm still this good player so i was really really impressed with him um i think throughout the playoffs yeah i I thought like i i I tweeted this last night why can't jason tatum play for a different team so that i can like him (laughs) because i I, he is a he is an awesome player and i i really want to like him but cannot cannot cheer for a a celtic but uh, yeah I, i think you Really, uh, we're spot on, you know, the Celtics. Um, I, I was very impressed that they even made it this far. Yeah. I did not think that they were going to get past Philly uh, in the second round. So I think it just shows how good of a coach Brad Stevens is. And like you said, he's going to learn from his mistakes. Yeah. Um, he's still, yeah, still a, a very young coach. Uh, ben, do you have anything you want to you wanna add? I mean, I was honestly going to say Jason Tatum. Like, yeah. he is just thoroughly impressed me. Yeah. Um, it Honestly, I can't help thinking back to the draft. When I see him play right now, honestly, with Philly and what they did to trade picks, mm-hmm. they could have had him. Yeah. And instead, they got Markel Fultz, can't shoot guy or whatever. <laughs> like, he just can't even play basketball. 
and I mean, yet to be seen, albeit, but um, just a little harsh. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, he, I mean this is harsh, but I mean, yeah, the reality it's, it's been true. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, this is we're just being honest. Like, so I honestly, when when I saw that dunk last night, that is what I thought of. I keep thinking of the draft when I see Jason Tatum's play right now, and that. You know, we could have very well seen the Sixers in that mm-hmm. position to take down the Cavs if they didn't make that trade during the draft. Yeah. I mean, that goes to show, you know, you. I mean, obviously in the draft, you really never know what's going to happen with these guys. Yeah. But, you know, that's a testament to scouting. Like, yeah. how are you scouting these guys? Like, Jason Tatum was at a top-tier program. Markel Fultz was over at UW, like, balling. Like, kind of what – how do you, you know, gauge that sort of talent level and whatnot? So, yeah, Jason Tatum just – I was thoroughly impressed with him. But as a Cavs fan, um, I am – Thoroughly happy in what I think to be LeBron's last playoffs with the Cavs that we get one more finals to see what he's got for the city of Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, you can go ahead. Go. No, you go ahead. So, so this is an interesting thing because I'm not sure that this is going to be his last season. And I can say a little bit more about that uh, after I do a little bit of uh, talking about the announcement. Well, I guess I'll, I'll say now. Whatever. Like <laughs> The reason I, I think that is because I'm not sure that there's a better situation for him to go to um, where it's obvious for him to have a path to championships. Because at this point, he's just playing against Michael Jordan. Because contrary to what Nate believes, <laughs> a lot of people still want to debate between those two. A lot of people, and, and he knows it. So he's playing against ghosts. I mean, he's playing against like people who don't even exist, like in terms of like playing, you know, he's playing against like phantom imaginary people. And so I think that depending on what happens with Kawhi Leonard, I think that's a huge mm. domino right now. Uh, what happens with Paul George? I think those two moves are going to dictate where he decides to go. So I still think there's a chance he stays in Cleveland because I, I think he's happy with the amount of control he has um, there. And I don't know that there's an easier path. Like, I don't see him going to a place like Philly because yeah. I think they have their – I mean, they have Ben Simmons. I mean, they have someone there. I, I hope the guy doesn't go to New York because the Knicks yeah. are just an abject disaster, like a dumpster fire. Yeah. They can't – I mean, they just literally cannot, like they, – they, they, their management is idiotic. They don't know what they're doing, and it's it's over and over again. They show you that they don't know what they're doing. Um, and I don't think he would go back to Miami either just because he's already played there, and I think he's already been through that. So I think there's a chance he stays in Cleveland. I'm more – I would say I will put the odds that more likely he's there – he's going to stay than go someplace else. Um, I don't think he's gonna. I mean, if you come to the West, I just think it's too it's too crowded. I think he's gonna stay East. So I think there's a chance. So as a Cavs fan, you should be hopeful. Yeah, should be hopeful. That's encouraging. Thank you, man. And you're Appreciate gonna be closer, so you actually be able to see them play. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're gonna they'll, be they'll, come, they'll come play the lowly Bulls. Yeah, and, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And you can watch them blow teams out. So then you'll be super happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. I mean, talking about LeBron free agency. Um, this is probably just a pipe dream for me, but I'm really hoping he comes to the Lakers. Um, delusional. Uh, it probably is. It probably is delusional, and you know, it's funny. Get, I think you'll get Paul George. I, I think um, so too. But it's funny. Um, a friend of mine, he and I were talking about this earlier and talking about free agency, and I was telling him, you know, I think we're gonna get Paul George and LeBron. And he said, he told me, he said, you say that every single offseason, the Lakers are gonna get some free agent. I said that we were, you know, a few years ago, I said that we were gonna get Kevin Love, and then I said we were gonna get Lamarcus Aldridge, and I said that we were gonna get Kevin Durant, and. Oddly enough, we have struck out on all our free agents. But, Oddly enough. Or, <laughs> anyway. But uh, I, I think, you know, I think that now the Lakers finally have a basketball argument and a basketball reason for players to come to L.A. Instead of just saying, hey, you can come to Los Angeles and be the face of the Lakers. It's now, hey, you can come to Los Angeles and we have a young core. We have Lonzo Ball. We have Brandon Ingram. We have Kyle Kuzma. We have Josh Hart. We have guys. I think next year the Lakers, without any free agents, are a playoff team. 
Because I think if you add Paul George, you add LeBron, either one of those guys, I think that puts the Lakers into the upper echelon of the West. So I honestly think, you know, like I said, it could just be a dream, but I, I, I do see a scenario where LeBron James comes out West. And, I, you know, I heard he's renovating his home in L.A., so yeah, well, you know, when you're a millionaire, almost billionaire, <laughs> you know, you can do things like that. You can have like three or four houses all over the world. I think he has a house in France too, but I don't think he's going to play in the French league. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I'm just saying. So just so you know, uh, but I mean, speaking of the draft, I mean, you're talking about Marco Fultz, and I think even still, like this brings up the ball question to me. You know, is that a good pick? It's still yet to be determined because yeah, this I, is why I, I look at Jason Tatum and I think about the draft, and I'm just like. Uh, I don't know. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to jump too far ahead into LeBron free agency because he still has to play another game uh, or another series, I guess I should say. Uh, all, suffice it to say, uh, Lakers fan, I think you will probably get Paul George. I think you have a good chance to do that. But beyond that, you know, we'll have to see uh, exactly what they develop into. With Looking at the current series, though, right, looking at, um, you know, them, you know, I guess trying to assess how Cleveland has played thus far, it is totally, this is a one-man show. And LeBron, this is why those debates keep popping up. Is he the greatest player of all time? Because he's shown that he is much more, he, he is able to will a team, I think, in ways that are just like shocking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this team has very little talent. They're not, no, they're not, they, they have some talent. Like they do have some talent, but the problem is inconsistent talent. Yeah. And he can just take over a game and will them to win. Um, and he has the endurance at his age to play a full game. That's just insane. Yeah. Like, I get tired driving to work from San Marcos. <laughs> like, I'll sit in the car from San Marcos, you know, to Linda Vista, and I'm just like, oh, I'm exhausted. And this man can play an NBA game, you know, and he's just only a couple years younger than me. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, my primary takeaway from Cleveland moving into this next series, though, is they have to be able to play uh, more efficient and consistent defense. Because that's why they won the game last night. Um, offensively, they they have one person they can rely on to score. And unless they decide to play consistent defense, they're going to get blown up. But at the end of the day, this could be a space where their season is a success because they made it this far. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is not like normal. That's not the American way of thinking of, oh, you have to win the championship or it's unsuccessful. I think there's something to be said about being pragmatic and just saying, hey, look how great I was able to. I was able to get our team to this point. And I think... You know, sometimes you exceed expectations and do something phenomenal with very little talent. I think there's something to be said for that and, and just to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the, the Cavaliers suffer from, I call it like messy syndrome, mm. where it's like if your one guy doesn't, doesn't, isn't great, then, then you're done. And, I, you know, you guys know the last time someone scored a competitive goal for Argentina that wasn't messy was November of 2016. Really? Yeah. Holy and and Damn. like and they qualified for the World Cup. And they qualified for the World Cup because they took a Messi hat trick on on the final final day of qualifying. And going into this World Cup, it's going to be all about Messi. And if Messi isn't on his game, I think Argentina could it could be a disaster for them. And it's the same thing with LeBron, where if LeBron is not you know on his game, if he's not Le- LeBron James, if he has one off night. They're they're done. Their their ship is is toast. But on the other hand, the Rockets seem like they can get it done even without James Harden being at their best. That's true. That's true. A hundred percent. And I think some of this to me has to do with this is where Chris Paul to me is historically underrated. Like I think people would be like, oh, you know, like with the Clippers, he was never able to give it a hump. But if you look at those, that was those that was Blake Griffin who would just 
choke. You know, like just straight up choke. I mean, again, I'm a Pistons fan. I grew up in Michigan. He got to the Pistons, and I watched him choke. Still. <laughs> like this is, a, you know, he doesn't have. And it, I shouldn't even almost hate using the word choke because he's got professional athletes. Is that there's something to be said about having a certain kind of mental fortitude that LeBron totally has, right? Mm-hmm. You can see when in the, the game he knows what to do. Like the game slows down. Chris Paul has it, and so like he's like willed them to win Game Four and Game Five. Like he has brought about a certain kind of toughness in Houston that they haven't had. Like, and, and I think that's why I've been so impressed with him rather than uh, James Harden, who's great. He's, he's great talent, right? Offensive talent. I don't know what the, the soccer equivalent is. Someone who's really great offensive talent, but actually not really the best leader, you know? Like, you know, like really be able to be, who, say, okay, can that? you lead a team? Because that's a different kind of skill set, being offensively talented versus actually being a talented player who's also a great leader. So Maybe like a Ronaldo? No, I, I give Ronaldo the LeBron comp. Oh, dude. really? You like, think so? I think he can will a team. I give James Harden a Bombing comp. Oh, that's actually real. That's good. Because he's yeah. not, not really a team leader, but like he's a prolific he goal scorer. There you go. Yeah. There you so, go. That's actually much better than my example. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, Houston, it looks like, you know, I mean, Houston Golden State, game seven tonight. Eight? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm ex- I, I, you know, um, I saw that Iguodala, he's out. Yep. Um, I don't know. I don't think Chris Paul's going to play, and if he is going to play, I don't think he's going to be effective. So for me, I'm I'm going with with Golden State tonight. Mm. Yeah, I think Golden State. I mean, unless they have some kind of mental collapse, which again they've been prone to this series. I feel like they've been closing out games like I don't know, like a college team. I mean, the last I mean, seriously, I mean, the last four or five minutes of the of the last two games. They haven't um, actually executed offensive basketball. They, they stopped passing the ball. They're not efficient. Um, you see them actually not um, running their sets well uh, with regards to their actions that they have off ball movement. Yeah, so, Quinn Cook taking game-winning shots. Like, what, what, what? what is that? <laughs> you know what and the thing is, like, Quinn Cook, he had a lane to drive. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude, like, I'm like, fool, just go to the basket, man. Like, just drive, dribble the ball and in closer to either make a shot or draw the defense. It was it was it's insane. So, yeah, I think unless they have a mental collapse, um, they should win. But, again, I've I, I, been disappointed with how they played the last two games. I think they played arrogant. And, and that's been, for me, something that shows me that next year, you know, I can already see the decline coming right now. Yeah, and so if Houston really wants to pull out this game, James Harden needs to – Yes. This is his, this is his show. This is his time. He needs to prove himself yep. thing more so than ever and just take control like LeBron did yep. in Game 7. Play 48 minutes, yep. go out there – and just dominate on both ends of the floor. Like yeah. you said, because that homeboy doesn't play defense. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, he just, like, and, you know, the, I mean, I think the difference with the Rockets, though, is, like, they have guys like Clint Capella. Yep. They have guys like Eric Gordon who can actually play some D yep. occasionally. And, like, you know, there's some supporting cast around that the Cavs don't have. But James Harden, I think it's, it, this is his time. This is his show. He needs to come through in this game if they want to go through. So, I said Golden State. Who do you guys got tonight? Golden State. Golden State. Yeah, Golden State. Um, and as a Cavs fan, that is just the worst. And you know how and, I and, feel and about... And the Bay Area hater. I, I, and, <laughs> so not, oh you're my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm a hater. Everything Bay Area sports. If you're listening, you're a Bay Area sports fan. I don't like you. I'll just say that right now. And just, oh man. It's, yeah, Cav, Cavs, Warriors, another final. Um, Just gonna have to deal with all those obnoxious... Bay Area. Oh my God. I was, I was bandwagon all your fans. Yeah. I know. Ugh. And you say I take things personally. Yeah, I take this very personally. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah, that pretty much wraps up the NBA segment. And um, hope you guys enjoy the game tonight. I, like I said I got uh, Golden State, but I'm, I'm going to be rooting for the Rockets tonight, as I think most of America will be. And so when we come back, <laughs> 
Uh, we're going to discuss the uh, new national anthem policy with the NFL and, and, and kind of give our, our thoughts and our takes about it. So, yeah. Light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga. Rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga. Still nigga. My name is Still nigga. I like that second one. Light nigga, dark nigga, faux nigga, real nigga, rich nigga, poor nigga, house nigga, feel nigga. Still. Nigga. Test, test, one, two, test, test. Testing, testing, one, two. Welcome back to the Unathletic. So uh, Ben had to uh, had to leave for a uh, because of a prior commitment. So now it's just me and Professor Carter, and um, we're going to get into a little bit of a different topic, something that uh, we used to talk about a little bit on the show, but um, something that we haven't talked about in a while, and um, because it hasn't been in the news, and um, that is the national anthem, and um, in terms of how that relates to the NFL, and so. For those of you who are unaware, the NFL just instituted a new policy that um, players must stand for the national anthem. They have the option to remain in the locker room if they don't want to stand. And if they don't stand, um, they're going to be fined. And um, this, of course, is um, off the heels of what happened last season. Um, actually, season before in terms of Kaepernick deciding not to stand. Um, and then last season, Trump inserted himself into the situation. And so... Um, Professor Carter, as someone who like uh, who's a theologian, who's an ethicist, and who um, studies um, racism and, and sort of all these different um, these different things that come together, um, what are your thoughts on the NFL's new policy? Yeah, it, I think you know just to actually preface it. I'm glad you said that too, with regards to the stuff that I study, because I, I do think being a not only being a theologian, more specifically being someone who studies race theory uh, from a historical perspective, with respect not only to the United States but globally, I feel like I do have a little bit of um you know a little bit of a different understanding, or maybe a more nuanced understanding than most. Uh, at its core, I think I thought about it from a couple of different perspectives. Um, you know, the NFL, they're business owners and they have the right to do what they want to do. But the question kept coming to me is like, why would they do this? Like, what is their particular uh, motivation? And I think for me, that's what I, that's at its core what I struggle with to try to figure that out. And so I was doing some research, obviously, before the podcast to make sure I was informed. And what I was able to find out is that the NFL used a Washington consulting firm to basically ask Americans, like if a, like this was like this past year, if, if a team were to sign Colin Kaepernick, um, what would happen? And what the firm discovered was that uh, the majority of African Americans, Latinos, and millennial fans, so millennial fans is across racial barriers, right? Support they they did not support disciplining players for not standing for the anthem. The only people who did uh, support it were white older fans. And so for me, it showed that that they've done the research, they know who they're trying to target with this particular kind of rule, even though that's not their primary viewing audience. It's their viewing audience has a lot of money, but it's not their primary viewing audience. Um, so that being said, my initial reaction of saying I'm like, why they're doing this is because they want to try to control the narrative. They want to say, uh, okay, we, we're in control. We don't want to have any negative publicity with Donald Trump. We don't want to have any players doing anything that could jeopardize our product. And we want to exert some kind of control um, over this situation um, with regards to the national anthem and how players respond to it. The other side of that is, though, if you look at from everything I've read, because, again, I already mentioned, I barely watched NFL this year in part because of this response, is for everything I'm reading is that the protests were dying down. After the uh, owners met with the players collective, they negotiated 
they came to like almost like a de facto agreement. It, it was supposed to not be a quid pro quo, but it ended up being that we give you guys some money to support the causes that you care about. And then you guys will stop uh, protesting during the national anthem, right? Because they're not protesting the national anthem. Yeah. They're protesting police brutality and racial injustice during the national anthem, right? And I think that's something that we have to make sure is, is, is understood as well. Absolutely. And, 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 and so um, it seems to me that, that the owners must have, in order to revive this conversation, the owners must have felt like we want to control the narrative and that we want to win, I feel like they thought they lost with the negotiation with the players because they agreed to pay money for issues they should actually care about, um, and they didn't. They didn't like the fact that they felt like they lost, and so now they're like, okay, you know, we want to control this. We want to control you, and we want to say that if you're gonna if you're gonna be on our team, you're gonna stand for national anthem, or you're gonna be in the locker room. And and and, and to be fair too, not every owner agreed with this. You know, they you know there are owners that have come out and spoken out against it. Um, uh, the chairperson of the Jets. I know it's not Woody Johnson because I know he's doing some stuff with Trump. But I think it's his either his son or I think brother. It's his son, yeah. Uh, so so he's he's not against it. Um, the 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 Jed York for the 49ers is against it, and uh, Mike Davis is also kind of come out where he's trying to be hesitant about it as well. Mark Davis. Mark Davis. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, with the Raiders. And so so yeah, for me, I think that you know again, they, in order to focus on winning and not necessarily doing the right thing. But just to say, okay, no, I want to say we won. Um, that's essentially, I think, part of the. I think that's a huge driver behind it. Yeah, and I, th- I think that, like you said, that this is something that had died down, and it wasn't really an issue until I think the NFL once again made it an issue, and it was it was something that uh, going back to last season, it wasn't an issue until Trump made it an issue until Trump inserted. Like I don't think that there were very many players um, who were who were protesting until. Trump inserted himself into the situation, and then that following Sunday, you had um, hundreds of players protesting. So it's it's kind of weird how it's like the people that don't want it an issue are the are the ones making it an issue by um, inserting themselves into a situation or, or, or by bringing it up when it's something that has has in a sense really died down. It's it's that's that's something that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, and I know when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that maybe they were doing this because they want to find a way to stay in the news and stay relevant. You know, where you look at compared to other sports where like the NBA for instance last year is able to be relevant all off season. Um and the NFL typically I think is able to do that in lots of other ways. Um, so if this was a decision to stay relevant, then this just shows that even though people can be billionaires and make a lot of money and they're allegedly smart, they're not Albert Einstein. They're not geniuses because this was, this is stupid. <laughs> like, like this alienates a, as much as they're saying they're losing money because, uh, some older fans who a majority are white aren't watching it. They're also losing money because people like me, you know, someone in their late thirties, um, who actually has discretionary incomes, they don't have kids, and would actually go to games and do stuff, and I'm just not interested in it anymore uh, because of this. So I think they're focusing on, on losing one smaller dying segment, right, of the population for of their money as opposed to the actual young folks and, and, and more urban folks or whatever um, who actually have money as well. And so by focusing on one segment, I think, you know, what, what's the expression? You know, you um, see the forest for the trees or whatever it is. I don't even know what that means. I, I've never heard that yeah, before. You never, oh, yeah. Well, maybe it's an old person saying, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but basically, what's, what's that? Bite, bite your nose to spite your face? Is that one? Have you heard that one too? I've heard count your chickens before you're Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So any of those kinds of things, basically. <laughs> uh, uh, suffice it to say, they're, they're trying to save themselves um, a lot of drama um, but ultimately, I think they're undermining their collective effort and focusing on the wrong people. Um, not only their fans, but their players. Like Absolutely. they're literally Absolutely. not talking to their players. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that I was reading a Jamel Hill, which a piece that she wrote for the Undefeated, and, and the point that she was making is that the NFL is showing who they value yep. with this new policy, and it's showing that you know, they put the value on older white fans instead of, like you said, um, um, black fans, Latino fans, even uh, millennial fans, like you said, that cross racial barriers. And you know, the point is that they're you're not talking to their players, and I think that shows. A, a huge difference between the way the NFL goes about their business and the way the NBA goes about their business because people say, well, the NBA has a policy that, that players uh, have to stand, but I think that the way that the NBA goes about there and went about creating their policy is, is so much different than uh, the NFL and how the N- NBA also makes sure to support these social justice efforts that the players um, that the players do. Uh, the NBA gets behind them versus the NFL I think has actively tried to to silence them, and I mean we've seen that with uh, the collusion against against Colin Kaepernick. So it's it's something that I think that it's it's really not. I, they're, they're, it, I don't think it's really fair to compare the NFL's policy to the NBA's policy because I think you know the, they don't operate in a vacuum. There's context that people need to understand. Totally, and I think it, people don't also understand that, like you said, like not only do they not operate in a vacuum, the 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 time in which the NBA has always had a policy, and so in the mid '90s, when uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, who was a player at the time for the Denver Nuggets, decided he was gonna not stand for a national anthem because he wanted to protest not just domestic injustice but global injustice, he felt convicted by his own religious beliefs as a as a Muslim that 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 the United States was um, doing harm to other countries, and he had a hard time saying I shouldn't stand for this. Um, and so what happened was David Stern and he actually had a chance to meet and talk and they negotiated a compromise where he would actually pray into his hands during the national anthem, right? But the key word is there, they met and talked and they said, okay, what can we come to as a compromise? So we're happy that you're actually doing something we want you to do um, during the national anthem and you can be, you can be content knowing that you're not um, supporting something you believe that you actually believe in the United States, but you want to critique in some way, mm-hmm. right? That just because you love something doesn't mean you can't actually critique it, right? Absolutely, that absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I say, if you do love something, you should be able to be honest yeah, with something and absolutely, critique it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's something that often gets lost is like this idea that um, that protest or, or, or not setting for the national anthem it somehow makes you unpatriotic or un-American when I think it was uh, James Baldwin who said um, that he, he loves America so much that he is willing to critique it and willing to criticize it because he wants America to stand for the ideals that it's supposed to stand for the ideals of liberty and justice for all land of the free home of the brave instead of just saying it stands for those ideas but in reality uh, going far set against it yeah and for me this is what i think connects back to the point you made about the nba and i wish i could remember the player's name because i uh like the player who got um arrested for the milwaukee bucks and sterling brown sterling brown Brown, and so like what you saw with the way in which that happened is you saw the um the owners their letter that they wrote like condemning the police force in Milwaukee, right? I mean, they call them by name and and, and actually saying, okay, like we, this is unjust, it's uncalled for. The letter documented the the cases of, of of clear racial racism and racial bias in the police department and saying this has to change for the city. And I think I can't imagine an NFL owner doing that. And so part of the reason why there's a difference between what's happening in the NBA and what happened in the NFL, not only is it I feel like the NBA players feel as though they have a relationship with um you know with their league and with the commissioner and with the the league office um as as i think the owners in the nba have demonstrated a kind of commitment to their players absolutely in in ways in which the nfl owners 
clearly don't want to. Like they just it is so obvious that they don't that they don't want to. And and in, in a current political moment, as you said, where Trump inserted himself in this conversation, they have to choose a side. Right. I mean, this is this is this is the thing. Like you could either choose to be on the right or wrong side of history, in my opinion. And and I'm in my, my argument. And they are choosing right now to say, hey, we're going to be more for nationalism. Right. Like which is what James Baldwin's critique and this kind of blindly appropriation of what American ideals were supposed to stand for rather than patriotism, which allows us to critique ourselves to become a better nation that actually up- upholds and lives up to the values we proclaim that we actually have. Um, and so this is where, for me, I, I, I don't know what the players are going to do this year, uh, if they're going to continue protesting and how it's going to be, but, but now they're going to do something. Whereas before, I don't think, I don't think they were going to do anything. I think I it agree. was going to I die agree. down. Now you've again challenged their, uh, I hate to use this kind of trope, but you challenged their, their humanity, I guess about say so you challenged their humanity. And so they, okay, we have to respond in some way because you've pushed us that far. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that you've pretty much nailed it on the head and i'm really interested to see what happens going into next season i did see a report that um there were players who were considering sitting out until kaepernick and eric reed get signed um and uh that's one of the things where i'll i'll believe it when i when i actually see it um i ain't it, trying to sit out. i ain't trying to lose no money man like, <laughs> you don't need to sit up make your money make your money but yeah i i think it'll be really really interesting to see what happens going in i'm honestly for the first time in my life i am like seriously questioning whether or not i should continue to watch the nfl and i I, i'm honestly having like serious doubts as to whether i'm going to to watch the nfl um next season that's something that i think is something i'm probably going to be struggling with all the way up until september in terms of whether i should watch or not i feel the same way and it's it's tough because like i'm such a huge college football fan yeah same that's what led me to have more interest in the in, in pro football because i see players on my own team i'm a michigan state fan um that get drafted and I want to watch them, you know, or other other players. I mean, I'm really interested in if Baker Mayfield actually is going to help Cleveland not be Cleveland anymore, right? You know, are they actually going to, you know, not be terrible, you know? Uh, because I like Baker Mayfield. He plays with a little bit of moxie, man. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I find that entertaining. But at the same time, then I feel like I'm being complicit if I watch it with this kind of, um, the I'm being complicit with the mentality that says you can treat uh human beings this Same, way yeah, you know and exactly. so for me that's like that that's been a struggle and 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 i know you know i guess to kind of wrap this up for, for me you know at, at its core fundamentally uh i think that uh this has historically been an issue in america uh, of labor uh versus like um essentially our, our bosses right people who are the capitalists quote you know and i know i'm going very academic here but this is at its core to me this is what it is in america we have been so pro um like 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 our pro boss or pro capitalist or pro business owner and and so um disregarded the importance of labor and the employee that we're willing to say hey you should do whatever the boss tells you to do in order to keep your job like we're supposed to be like grateful that they just give us some stuff to do you know to keep to, to keep us from being idle with our time without recognizing that they need our labor in order to make that money and so you know i always tell people that complain to me if i because i've had people complain to say well you know their employees issue with their bosses say and, and i agree with that um but this, this is collectively bargained so it's totally different you and i don't have collective bargaining with our jobs you know I, I don't have that as a professor at the usd and more than that 
I said, like, you know, what if, you know, you, uh, for instance, worked at a place and you had, uh, you know, you, you had a bumper sticker that was um, whatever kind of political stance you want to have. You had a bumper sticker and you wear sometimes T-shirts or hats or whatever of this said person um, that may or may not be in office. And what if you went to a place and you were working and they said, OK, you know, unless you're going to be for uh, the political stance I agree with, then you can't wear anything. And and you say, OK, when they say, well, if you if I see your car with a bumper sticker on it or if you wear that hat that says any kind of thing about America or wear a t-shirt says anything about that then I can fire you for cause and we're not going to actually be able to you know I'm, I'm not going to pay you you know and so how would you I think anybody in the right mind would say well that undermines our freedom of speech that undermines our integrity and I can't actually be a citizen right you know in America if I can't do this and yet for some reason well not for some reason we know because of deep resentment racial resentment most likely of people they don't want uh these players to have that capacity that ability that they exercise when they go to work every day and it just it blows my mind we're willing to compromise that that some people are willing to compromise that for the sake of again winning for the sake of trying to be right rather rather than actually looking at the bigger picture and saying i want these i would never want these rights taken away from me so i'm not gonna take away from somebody else absolutely absolutely i mean um you I, I don't think there's anything else I could say that uh, I think you basically summed it all up. Um, and like like I said, going in the show, this is probably the smartest, this one of the smartest people I've ever met. And um, I think you just absolutely, you know, blew that blew that mantra out the water. Well, hopefully, I proved myself to be wise. I will say that because of all this stuff, to your point, Nate, this has been the single this has been the single most important event that's moved me towards away from American football. That makes me feel like I'm going to start watching more European soccer. Uh, I still haven't picked a team yet, so I'm still going to do that. I'm going to figure that out. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to find a team. Um, because at this point, I'm just, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to watch the NFL this year, you know, and that's kind of crazy. I think I may read about it, but I think I'm going to watch it. So, so next time I'll be on the podcast, I'll be able to contribute more to the soccer conversation and feel like an informed, uh, a fan and I'll have a, maybe I'll wear a, what, a kit and, <laughs> and talk about the pitch and whatever else you guys talk about. I don't know. <laughs> You know, hey, well, um, yeah, I think that that would be that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> it's, it's funny, like uh, I actually don't, I can't think, I don't think I know any other. I know one other black soccer fan, know one other guy, um, but yeah, they're, they're like no, I like no no other black soccer fans. Like see, they try to talk, try and talk soccer with black people, they're like, what? And see, like, this was so. Do you, I don't know if you know, uh, and I'm gonna give her a shout out, uh, Kelsey uh, down to uh, 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 like she's a soccer player yeah, at USD. Yeah, I know Kelsey. And so like Kelsey, yeah. and like so she's the other person that's got me talking because she watched. Obviously, she watched. She's a she's great. But she's yeah. an amazing player. Yeah. Um, I haven't got a chance to see you play yet. I know I'm supposed to see you. I apologize, but I've seen highlights. <laughs> and so um, you know, there, it's like a, a growing you know thing. I think that I don't know. I feel like it's something that we need to take more serious, especially if we're gonna be in solidarity with our NFL. Uh, brothers, you know, that I think it's something that we should really, you know, maybe, maybe we can start a movement. Maybe we can start a movement <laughs> on campus, you know, yeah. uh, American outlaws, uh, you know, uh, you know, for people of color. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, yeah, we really um, appreciate you coming on the show and just um, be willing to talk about all this. And so we usually wrap up our show giving our final thoughts. And the way we do that is we kind of just talk about, we, we give something that we're going to be watching um, in sports in, in the coming week. So what is your, What's something you're going to be watching for? I think I have, an, I have a good idea of what it is, but... Uh... Yeah, I think for me, obviously, I'm going to be watching the NBA Finals, you know, so I'm really interested in how these things uh, continue to play out. Um, again, I said I expect Golden State to win um, the, uh, the, the game tonight against Houston, and I expect them uh, to win the championship. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens after that. 
because I, again, I'm predicting maybe in a year in advance that this is the end of that dynasty, uh, and I'm so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens literally after they win, almost them winning, because I, I don't think that Cleveland's even gonna give them that much competition. I think so. I think that could be a could be a sweep or maybe maybe five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe five. I'd say at best six if they're lucky, but probably five. What about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, well, I mean tonight I'm gonna be watching uh, obviously Game Seven, but before that I'm gonna be watching uh, the U.S. Men's National Team take on Bolivia. Uh, we got our our youth movement going on right now with with U.S. Soccer. Uh, right now the average age of the players currently in uh, the camp right now is 22 years old. Um, Christian Pulisic makes his return, uh, first time wearing a U.S. Men's National Team kit since um, that fateful night in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see um, what happens tonight. You got some some really talented young players that I'm excited to see. And then obviously looking um, towards the NBA Finals. Then also just a few weeks away, June 14th at the start of the World Cup. So that's something I am cannot cannot wait for. So uh, once again, Professor Carter, we just want to thank you for, for coming on the show and um, taking taking your time and um, giving us your, your thoughts and uh, giving us uh, some of your wisdom. Well, and, thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah. No, I love being on. Again, I love the podcast, and I look forward to being on in the future if you guys will have me. Depending, we'll see how, how many clicks this one gets. If it gets a lot of clicks, then maybe you'll be more excited to have I me think, on. I think, I think this one's going to get a... Uh, this, this one could be our, our, our largest audience. I've been uh, hyping you up with, with some, of our, some of our listeners. But um, just... Uh, want to thank everyone for for listening this week um as you know you can follow us uh on uh soundcloud itunes um you can follow our twitter at usd comeback and um i hope you have a awesome rest of your week check us out on twitter and on itunes youtube facebook and soundcloud also check out our sports blog articles are released every week and our writers need your support in the meantime We'll be back next week.